you're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with some of the most passionate, hardworking, and limitless thinkers on this earth who have a story to share, a brand that inspires, or a fire inside of them to live life on their own terms. The intention behind each episode is simple, and that's to include you in these conversations so that you can learn, apply, and grow in your own life and in your business. If I can share one quick secret with you before we begin, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. Tuning into Visionary Life will help you dust off the limiting beliefs you carry around so that you can begin to create your own most visionary life. It's in you, it's in all of us, let's dive in. If there's one thing that we could all use a little bit more of in life, it's time. Our days pass quickly, the weeks even quicker, and seasons seem to come and go in the blink of an eye. Especially our bike riding season, particularly here in Canada where I live. That's why I'm obsessed with the philosophy of Canadian-founded company Velofix, who want you to save time and ride more. Today's visionary guest is Chris Guime. Chris co-founded Velofix, your local bike shop, on wheels. I'm willing to bet you've seen their trucks driving around your neighborhood to service your community members or fixing bikes at a local race weekend. Velofix has been my go-to bike shop for more than five years. As a cyclist and a busy entrepreneur, I am on my bike constantly, but maintenance is not my strong suit. I routinely call my local Velofix truck. Steve is my guy, and he comes over to give all three of my bikes a tune-up. It's seamless, it's convenient, and it's such a fun experience to talk to and learn from your mechanic while they work on your bike outside of your home. We'll get into the episode momentarily, but first, I just wanted to let you know that we have launched a giveaway in combination with this episode. If you head over to my Instagram right now, you can enter to win a $200 Velofix gift card. They have franchises all across North America and would love to share their services with you. So if you want to win a $200 gift card for you or for a friend, just head to at Kelsey Rydell on Instagram and enter there. Second, summer is fast approaching and our next round of Visionary Summer School is starting. To learn how you can launch your business in the next four months with our proprietary framework, head to KelseyRidal.com and click on the Visionary Method Group Coaching. Spots are limited. Apply for summer school today. All right, on to today's episode. Chris is so generous with his knowledge about starting and scaling this business, and it was a true pleasure to hear the story behind the brand. He's a true visionary. It's pretty neat to imagine a conversation between Chris and two of his friends chatting over beers in a garage that eventually turned into what Velofix is today, which is a fleet of over 100 franchises across North America. Wow. Velofix was launched in 2013 by Chris Guimet, Boris Martin, and David Shasa, who all share a passion for cycling and the common belief that bicycles can help change the world. 
The brand's core mission is to get more people on bikes and solve problems standing in the way of this goal. Today, Velofix is the largest fleet of mobile bike shops in North America, with plans to double in size over the next 18 months. Before we get into hearing from Chris, I just want to thank our sponsors. Do you want to know my secret to landing consistent clients and students inside the Visionary Method? It's word of mouth marketing. One way I strategically drive more word of mouth to my business is by using no issue custom branded packaging. From custom tissue paper to stickers to packing tape, these touches are so unique and not many businesses have identified this best kept secret. It's the little touches like custom no issue packaging that will set your brand apart from the rest. No issue allows you to design your own branded tissue paper and you can have it shipped to you anywhere in the world within three weeks. Either upload your logo and design in real time or upload a template with your illustration and they'll do the rest. I've been packaging up all of my client gifts in no issue packaging because it's super Instagrammable. And that's more important than ever in an age of digital sharing. There is no reason not to go the extra mile when it's this simple. It's the most cost-effective yet powerful form of word of marketing. If you want to head to noissue.ca, N-O-I-S-S-U-E dot C-A, you can actually use the code VISIONARY at checkout to receive a discount on your first purchase. Again, that's VISIONARY at checkout to receive a discount on your first purchase. And thank you to Healthy Planet. Pedaling around on my bike is one way I stay healthy, but fueling my body with top quality supplements and nutrition products is certainly another. As you guys know, Healthy Planet is a partner of the Visionary Life podcast, and now more than ever, I love being able to share their services with you. They've got curbside pickup and delivery options to meet your current shopping needs. So grab your vitamin C to support your immunity. Grab superfoods like cacao nibs or camu camo to energize your mornings. And grab your organic canned soups to stock the pantry for busy weeknights when you just don't have time to cook. In order to keep all of my listeners and podcast community members in peak health, they're offering you a 10% discount on any online order over $49.99 when you use the code VISIONARY10 at checkout. That's VISIONARY10, shop at healthyplanetcanada.com. On to the episode. Chris Guimet, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I am so excited to be able to sit down over Zoom with you today because uh, we've actually been connected for a while. Uh, my listeners know I used to work for an amazing company called Vega, and uh, we had some brand partnerships that we did with you guys. So we've been kind of loosely connected, never met in person before, but it's really great to sit down with you. And thanks for being on the podcast today. Uh, no problem at all. Thanks for having me, Kelsey. So we're going to get started with some rapid fire questions just so I can warm you up. I know you've done many podcasts before, but we'll get your voice warm and I want to help the listeners to get to know you. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Awesome. So why don't you tell us where did you grow up and where do you live now? Uh, born and raised in Vancouver, Canada and still living here. Oh, you traveled really far. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough place to leave, um, as you know. 
Uh, yeah. Every time I was out there, people always said, you know, it seems like you belong out here. Like, have you ever thought of moving? And so the idea pretty much crosses my mind every single day. <laughs> so we'll see one day. Um, what was your first job, Chris? Uh, first job was at a sporting goods store. Uh, I think I was 13 or 14 years old. So uh, just kind of the uh, the gopher boy, but uh, I've always loved sports growing up and uh, it was a great, uh, great learning experience dealing with customers and getting to know a little bit more about sporting goods products. So I don't think it was actually an official job back there, but I got, uh, I got paid a few dollars in cash at the end of every day. That's awesome. And I love that you say it was a good experience dealing with customers because obviously when you started VeloFix, there was probably a lot of customer service that needed to happen. And I just, I'm a firm believer that we learn something valuable from every job, no matter what, if it was when we were 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, uh, there's always a key lesson, right? There's no question. I think that business is business. Every company is different in nature, but at the end of the day, at the core of it, uh, the customers are what matter and you need to figure out uh, what they need, what they want and how to give it to them. And um, yeah, I've, I've had many kind of retail experiences growing up. I worked at Safeway for years when I was going to university and those interactions with people, I think, uh, were, uh, were powerful for me. Mm -hmm. So, so true. Um, I'm always curious with entrepreneurs like yourself, uh, was there ever a person or a podcast or a book that you feel really significantly impacted your life or your journey into owning a business? Yeah, I don't think there was one specifically. Uh, I think I always admired and respected people that had the, um, you know, the guts for lack of a better term to go out and do it on their own and take those risks. Uh, very lucky to have met some some wonderful, incredible people over the years. Uh, you mentioned Vega earlier. Uh, Charles Chang, who's the founder of Vega, is um, uh, our first investor in this business and has become a good friend. So he definitely inspired me. Uh, Jim Trilliving, who's also an investor, uh, founder of Boston Pizza, is uh, um, another gentleman that um, I, uh, I look up to as a mentor. So, uh, yeah, I don't know anything specifically. I, I really love Guy Raz, how I built this podcast. I listen to a lot of that. Um, I love the stories. I love the honesty and um, the journey that uh, most entrepreneurs go through at the end of the day is very similar. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I actually just recently got into how I built this and I was just listening to that on the way over to my office and just realized how amazing of a podcast that is. So I will link that in the show notes for anyone who hasn't listened. Um, I want you to complete this sentence. The best part of my job right now is? Uh, building, uh, building our team. Mm. Amazing. And I'm sure we'll dive into all about that in the rest of the show. So why don't first we zoom the lens back a little bit. Can you just give us a bit of a rundown of what you were up to before launching VeloFix? For sure. I've been involved in a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries over the years. Uh, I had a business uh, where we imported food products. We did um, collaborative work, marketing work for food manufacturers, selling to major retail and uh, that was what I was doing uh, right before uh, we launched Bellofix. And you know, for the first couple of years when we, when we launched Bellofix, uh, um, we were doing other jobs as well because uh, like most entrepreneurs did know when you start something, the revenue is not there, the profitability is not there. So yeah, it was a bit of a side hustle in the beginning. Ah, very, very cool. And um, what happened after that career path? Like obviously VeloFix didn't just happen overnight. So were you starting to get entrepreneurial ideas? Did you move on to another role where you were kind of there for a while? Paint us a picture of that point in your life. 
Yeah, I've uh, I've done um, I guess you could say entrepreneurial things over the years, and, and uh, even when I had a quotation mark a real job, I was always uh, doing something on the side and, and working on things. So um, when uh, David and Boris, who are my two business partners and co-founder uh, co-founders, when we all got together in, in David's garage over some beers and talked about what Velofix could be and what we wanted it to be. Um, you know, as I said, that became the majority of our focus. Uh, and within a couple of years, we'd all got into it full time and, um, and uh, focused on that business going forward. So that was January, uh, actually got together October 2012 and, and put the first mobile bike shop on the road in January of 2013. So seven years later. Mm -hmm. And how did you meet your co-founders? Uh, great question. David and I had known each other for many, many years uh, through uh, family connection. He's five years younger than I am, and uh, he went away to Europe and, and played soccer professionally. And when he came back, we connected, and he actually was the one that connected with Boris. Um, Boris was uh, working in bike shops as a mechanic while going to university, and those two people connected, and, and David had the idea of, you know, can we put a, a bike shop in the back of a vehicle? Can we make it mobile? Can we go to somebody? So um, we all, you know, we all kind of came together and very quickly realized that the three of us had uh, different skill sets, but the three of us shared the vision of, of what this business could be. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's how it started in a garage with beer, which is uh, probably similar to a, lot, to a lot of businesses that get started. Yeah, it's funny. I actually just interviewed um, uh, one of the co-founders of a female-focused sports news outlet. Uh, it's called The Gist, and she has two co-founders as well. And for them, it started together at one of their apartments over wine. So I feel like I'm hearing this like duplicate story right now that all good ideas come from threesomes drinking together, <laughs> which is they, absolutely uh, hilarious. <laughs> it definitely, when you talk about uh, the creative juices and, and thinking of ideas and concepts, uh, some beer or wine definitely helps. And mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, everybody, everybody has, I think, great ideas. You know, you're sitting around having a few drinks with your friends and everybody has a new idea or a new, uh, new way things should be done. And, um, the, the reality is most people don't take those and, and execute on them and, and start something. But um, we, uh, we all felt very strongly that we had a unique opportunity uh, in an industry that was changing. And um, we all made a commitment. We looked at each other and we actually uh, wrote checks and put them in the bank and, um, and started the journey together at that point in time. That's awesome. And so before we kind of get into the logistics of how you really launched this business, I just want to know, like, were you ever hesitant or fearful about launching a business with two friends or acquaintances? Because, you know, that can get messy, I'm sure. And I, I know it does not come without its challenges, but were all of you totally comfortable with the idea of going in on this um, as a partnership or a threesome or whatever, whatever we want to call it? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think there's no question that um, there's challenges with that for sure. Uh, we all own the same amount of the business when we started, so we were all on equal footing. Yeah. And as I said, I think the the real uh, thing that that came um, became evident early was that the three of us could focus on different aspects of the business. And while we saw the same vision of what we wanted to create, um, you know, Boris built the first mobile bike shop. He worked in the first mobile bike shop, so he was the direct contact to the customer. He was the one that worked on the systems on what we needed to do, what we needed for software and point of sale and those things. 
David spent a lot of his time and energy on the operations, uh, financially, legal. What do we need to do to set the company up properly and get ourselves going? And then I took the lead and, and focused on customer acquisition and business development and marketing and branding and, and what we wanted it to, to all look like. And we all had, you know, all three of us had voices in different areas, but we definitely had different skill sets and different focuses. So I think, you know, I can speak for myself personally. That gave me a lot of confidence that this was a great opportunity because, as I said, we have pretty different skill sets that that get aligned. And um, look, like a family, uh, like friends, um, you know, you go through challenging times. And, and at the end of the day, if the respect level is there and you've all got the same uh, vision of what you want it to be, you work it out. So it's it's mm -hmm. been a great partnership. The three of us, you know, still work closely together. We have different roles in the business, but um, we are still the founders, and that will never change. And um, we're all very, very motivated to make this a very successful company. Mm, yeah, that's super inspiring. So you're in the garage, you're drinking beers, you're you know spitballing ideas, and you kind of land on the idea for VeloFix. Wake up the next morning, like what happens next? What were some of the very first steps that you guys took in order to start bringing this idea to life? Great question. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of things, obviously, from uh, <clears throat> setting your company up legally. Um, that needs to be done. Business license needs to be done. Uh, in today's day and age, obviously, securing a website. Uh, we, we secured Velfix.ca in the beginning. We did not have .com. So we had to go and, and buy that a couple of years later. Uh, but definitely your email communication, your website. We need to get to get a mobile bike shop. We need to we needed to agree and decide on what we're going to use for a mobile bike shop, which we ended up on Mercedes Sprinter. Obviously had to build it out. We needed a back-end system that did route optimization. We needed a front-end system that did payment processing. So there's all these little things that, um, that you need to do. Uh, and as I said, the three of us all took on different pieces of that and, and brought it all together. But there's no question, I think, taking something from an idea and, and getting it activated to that first transaction, it's, it's a very challenging time. It's very stressful. And it's, I don't know if there's one roadmap to do it. And quite frankly, I think schooling, for lack of a better term, fails us in that uh, regard. Um, I think there could be a lot more education on, on how do you, how do entrepreneurs get, get themselves started and a lot more support because it, mm -hmm. it definitely is challenging. And, and those are early on, if you don't get some of those things right, they can be a big, big problem down the road. So we spent a lot of time on that due diligence of what we needed and what we wanted to do and, and how to set it up properly. And, you know, we were in a, in a, in a good situation, I'd say financially where early days, uh, it wasn't do or die. I mean, David and I had other incomes. Uh, we, were, we were able to pay for us uh, based on the business we were generating. So we didn't take incomes for the first couple of years on the business. So um, we were able to build it and establish it and build a foundation without panicking about pulling in every possible dollar that we could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and I know it, it absolutely is it's stressful and, and challenging to think about how to get a business started. But I love that you're able to pretty eloquently put into words, like just some of those early first steps that you can, anyone can get started on right away, like setting up 
the, the legalities of the business, getting your license, doing a website, which now you can DIY that, setting a domain. I mean, it's just these little things, right? That sometimes we feel overwhelmed when we don't break down the whole business into just micro chunks. Uh, but I think your list there is a great starting point for anyone to just bring their idea into reality. So yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, obviously this idea was totally visionary. Like, did you know of anyone else doing a mobile bike shop at the time that you were modeling your business after, or was this the first of its kind? Well, there, there was definitely uh, mobile bike shops out there, but no question. We did not spend much time or energy looking to see what other people were doing. We had a pretty clear vision of what we wanted to put together. Um, our vision was always a premium service. So we thought a Mercedes Sprinter van made sense in terms of a higher end valuation, a look and feel, a quality. So the mobile bike shop concept, as I said, has been out there for a long, long time. There's many people running around in pickup trucks or trucks and doing uh, services at people's home or their offices. So I, we didn't come up with that concept, but I think what we did do was build a strong brand and we are the largest fleet of mobile bike shops in North America. There's nobody even close. So what we were able to do was scale it. So there's a lot of mod paws or individuals that are out there doing it, but nobody's been able to scale it on the level we have. And, um, you know, I think when you start a business, it's very important to understand what your competitors are doing and what's out there, but you also have to have your own vision and you also have to have your own focus on what you want it to be. Because I think you can spend a lot of time and energy chasing people or trying to position yourself. And I think doing it from your heart and making it genuine and building something that, that you want and that you would expect from a service level is, is a much better approach than trying to you know, copycat somebody that's already over doing it. Mm, and I think that's such good advice for anyone, no matter what industry they're in. Like at a certain point, you have to turn off the people who are doing similar things to you and just stay in your own lane. And, and exactly like you said, formulate your own vision. Otherwise, you're always copycatting and you're just trying to be better. But what you did with VeloFix was you created something different, not better, because there's lots of good bike mechanics out there who can travel around. But you had a concept that was completely different than what most people were doing. So I think that's really, really good advice. Um, did you guys ever sit down and write a formal business plan for this or were you more just go with the flow and kind of just, you know, putting the truck together and going out and trying to find clients? What was your process? Yeah, I don't think we did a formal business plan. I think no question we sat down and, and mapped out what we wanted to see, whether that was marketing and branding or <clears throat> backend operations, those things we spent some time and energy building a plan on. But no, I, I, I don't recall a, a formal business plan in terms of start to finish. Uh, what we did do and what I would recommend for people is, is you need to get launched. You, know, you need to get active because you're going to learn from your customers and you're going to learn your business far faster and far greater than um, spending years building a business case because things change fast. And quite frankly, you don't know until you get out there and do it. So our, our plan was uh, get a mobile bike shop on the road, get mm -hmm. customers using it, use their feedback, deal directly with them, understand what they were looking for, what they wanted, and then just learn as you, as you do it. And uh, that's the best way to do it. So really it was put one mobile bike shop on the road in Vancouver 
uh, and start collecting data and start understanding what, what those operational pain points were because we knew we wanted to do uh, a fleet of these. So very quickly, you need to realize what works and what doesn't work. So no, I, I don't think there was a formal business plan and, and I don't, you know, personally anyway, I don't, I don't know if that's where you want to spend all your time and energy because I think a lot of people try to make things perfect or try to get themselves so far along that everything's guaranteed to work. The reality is it doesn't matter how much time you spend preparing. Things are going to go sideways on you. And our vision was get the shop on the road and, uh, and start understanding what the customer wants and how it all works. So we went, we went pretty quick. I mean, if you think October, we sat down and had some, had some beers. And, and a week later, we put checks in the bank and started buying domains and getting the company registered and sort of working on the logo and things like that. And by January, we had a fully operational mobile bike shop pretty quick pretty quick turnaround so um you know that that's what worked for us anyway yeah and you know what i asked that question because i i find i'm always fascinated by the answers because i think there are certain personality types like obviously the three of you guys where it just is better to get into action rather than sit back and think too hard about it and potentially convince yourself that it's not a good idea right um i think just diving in head first is often the way to go to start encountering like what this is really like in the real world so i love to hear that story um, so you get your first truck on the road. Well, what are some of the major milestones that happened after that? Like, did you get the second one? How did you get your customers? What were some of the big moments that really started to show you that VeloFix was growing? I'll answer that, but but real quick back on what you just said, which was great, and I think it's very true, is if you have an idea and you think it's a good idea, I can guarantee you that if you go ask 10 people about it, you know, all 10 of them can tell you why it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the reality of, of our business. And, and I think there is the people that I've met that are ultra successful, um, that I've been lucky to spend time around over the last, you know, let's call it since we launched the business. Um, there is a certain ignorance and there is a certain stubbornness that you need because yes, if, if you go to somebody and say, we're going to launch a, we're going to put a bike shop in the back of the Mercedes Sprinter van and go fix somebody's bike at their home or their office. Most people are going to say, oh, I don't get it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody use it? So um, I, I think you do need a bit of, like, just narrow focus. We're going to do this. We're going to try this. And we're going to get it going. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, we definitely had that. We definitely had an ignorance, ignorance because David and I didn't come from the bike industry. We didn't know really how it worked. We didn't realize that suppliers wouldn't sell to us because we were in a traditional brick and mortar store. Uh -huh. um, so there's a lot of things we there's a lot of things we didn't know that quite frankly if we did spend more time researching it we may have found five reasons not to do it exactly so um, so you know get active and, and get going and uh, I think you'll learn as you go in terms of milestones you know we we put Vancouver on the road and uh, your first couple of milestones become somebody uses your business that you've never heard of before yes Obviously, oh my you gosh out, you, re <laughs> you, you reach out to family and friends in the beginning and. Um, all of a sudden you start seeing people's names and I asked David or hey, do you know who this is? Or they asked me, do you know this guy or this girl? And, uh, you start getting, you start getting people outside your circle using the business. Um, you know, I think we hit a hundred thousand dollars in revenue pretty quickly. And that was, that was pretty cool to think you've taken something out of the back of a garage and, and you're doing revenue. Um, and then really once we started getting traction in Vancouver and understanding, wow, this, this has some potential. We put a mobile sh bike shop in Victoria, 
because we thought, well, let's create some distance. Let's make, if we do it over there, we're going to need better systems and structure. And, um, and then from there, we, we made the decision to start franchising out the business and uh, started franchising across Canada. A uh, year and a half later, we started franchising into the U.S. market. So there was a bunch of milestones as, as we went. You know, your first million in revenue, uh, 50 trucks on the road, 75 trucks on the road, 100 trucks on the road. Um, all those, you know, we probably haven't done as great of a job as we should have of stopping and celebrating some of those milestones. But um, when you look back on it, it's, it's pretty cool to think that um, something that started in a garage and, and one person one day used it for the first time and now we've got you know over a hundred thousand um uh services and um, many more bikes than that done uh it's uh multi-million dollars in revenue it's, it's pretty cool to look back on on where we started and, and what the original idea was and, and for me it's it's exciting because what we're doing today is is exactly where we want it to be you know, provide a premium service uh provide consistency take the level of service up in the industry, raise the expectations in the industry, and quite frankly, get more people on bikes, make it easier for people to ride. And our tagline being save time, ride more, it's, it's, that hasn't changed. You know, we, we want to make it easy for people to get their bikes serviced, their bikes built, their bikes built, their bikes tuned, and let them get out and ride. So um, that has been very cool that the vision has not changed and, and the, the expectations we have on the business haven't changed. Mm, I love that. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us to really cultivate that time in your week or your month or your year to think about what your vision is for your business or for your future business, because there's nobody stopping you from making that come true. And you guys have really proved that, that a conversation over beers is, you know, as far as it may have gone when you were spitballing the ideas, you actually brought this to reality. So it was very, very inspiring. Now, at one point, you said you and David were still working full-time jobs and you were doing VeloFix. So uh, when did you know it was time to go all in on VeloFix? And was it scary quitting your jobs or was it just kind of like a, a very um, obvious moment and milestone that needed to happen? Yeah, I don't think, yeah, uh, but, you know, once again, I'll speak for myself. I, personally, I don't, I don't know if the word's scary. There's, there's definitely a, um, uh, a nervousness to it, and you, you know, you, you lose a safety net, I guess, for lack of a better term. But by that point in time, we had uh, good momentum. You know, like I said, we had, uh, we had good investors on board, and uh, we believed in what we are doing. And a big one for us is, is the Vancouver Sun, uh, which is, obviously the big paper here in Vancouver, uh, it was March, 2014. They put us on the front page, um, you know, a new spin on bike tune-ups and three of us pictured with the van. So once that happens and you're on the front page of the Vancouver Sun with this business, um, you, feel, you kind of feel like you're all in at that point. <laughs> yeah. That, your, that's uh, amazing. your, your other jobs, uh, your other jobs may not be, uh, you know, as important, but no, I, I think, I think the three of us, as I said, once you start getting that momentum rolling and you see what it can be, and then you take a look at the industry and you see the changes that are happening in the industry, we really, we, we feel like we're at the right place at the right time. And I think part of that is, is you have to create it too. And you have to, it's like, like Charles at Vega or Chip Wilson at Lululemon. I think you could sit back and say, well, they were, they were in the right time, you know, they're in the, the right place at the right time. But mm -hmm. you also have to create, you also have to create that. You have to create the, the demand and the want for plant-based protein or yoga clothing. And, um, you know, for us, as I said, we feel like we're in the right place at the right time. And 
Um, when we made that decision, it, it didn't feel like uh, uh, a big risk at the time, and it didn't, uh, you know, what we weren't that scared. So uh, mm -hmm. it just felt right. I think when you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I'm curious, was franchising always part of your plan or was that something that you started to think about um, a year or two into the business? Yeah, we definitely didn't uh, sit in the garage drinking beer saying we're going we're gonna to franchise this. Yeah. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't from day one uh, a goal. But as we, as we started rolling it out and we started looking at the business, there's no question that we, at a point, said, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to grow this business fast. We don't need a ton of capital when you do franchising. Obviously, people are paying your franchise fee. People are buying the trucks. It's their employees, their inventory, and things like that. So, um, and another big one for us was we went on, um, we went on Dragon Stand, and uh, we did a deal with Ginger Living, who's the franchise king of Canada. So. One of the reasons we did that deal and, and wanted Jim involved was we were looking at that franchise model and we had started it and we did feel like we needed an expert uh, on board to help guide us, you know, in Canada and then especially in the U.S. market, which is a, which is a bit of a different uh, a different market there for franchising. So we, we made that decision and, and quickly went after it and have had tremendous success doing that. And uh, just recently, we've we've actually started putting some corporate trucks back on the road. So we believe that a, a mix between franchise uh, and corporate is the way to go. And, and that's mm -hmm. where we're building our business going forward. Very cool. And uh, you mentioned that you went on Dragon's Den. So I know you guys appeared in an episode on season nine. And I would love for you just because I know so many of our listeners are also fans of that show. Can you just describe your experience on the show and um, maybe give us a rundown for people who haven't seen the episode, what the outcome ultimately was? Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the show as well. So um we uh, were on season nine for the initial pitch, and then I think they did uh, follow up uh, uh, at the end of the season of kind of the successful deals. And then uh, a couple seasons later, they featured us when we launched our, our 100th uh, franchise, or we sold our 100th franchise. Uh, so we've been on uh, a few a few different times, but it's a wonderful experience. It's basically what you see. We, we, did, um, uh, we did an audition and an interview in Vancouver. They do a roadshow across Canada. Uh, Boris and I um, did it and they invited us to Toronto to film. So you still don't know you're actually going to make the final cut and get aired, but we, uh, we had a mobile bike shop in the CBC studios downtown uh, Toronto. It's on the 10th floor. So we actually put the mobile bike shop in one of the big freight elevators and took it up to the <laughs> set. And um, they, tried to get, they tried to get it on this big set, obviously. Tried to get it on set and broke one of the wheelies so we could spin it around. <laughs> and, uh, Boris ended up fixing it, and, and um, we got we got uh, we got the mobile bike shop on the set. But fantastic experience. Uh, you you go, you sit in the, the green room, and you wait. Uh, go down and get some makeup on, and then they literally put a camera in your face and follow you back uh, um, uh, back up, back of set. Ask you how you're feeling, and you walk down the stairs, and you go, and it's done in one one shot. Uh, there's obviously a lot of editing and there's a lot of questions fired at you, but um, the deal we did, uh, we did the deal with Jim. We had offers from all but one of the, uh, the dragons. And, wow. Uh, we thought, we thought Jim was obviously the best partner with this franchise experience and mm -hmm. just knowing, knowing some people that know Jim well, of what kind of uh, wonderful human being he is, we thought he'd be a great addition to the team. And we, we took Simon Woodfield with us, who's uh, 
four-time Olympian, um, Olympic gold medalist in triathlon, who owns a couple franchises for us and has done some ambassador work. So he popped out of the van, which was which was, I think was fun for the Dragons and fun for us. So it was a, it was a really cool experience. I, I highly recommend to anybody. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips has on as as an idea? Uh, yeah, I think you want to you want to keep it as simple as possible. You want to. I think I've read somewhere where if you can't explain your business in two or three sentences, you probably shouldn't be in the business. Oh, so <laughs> that's good. Know, yeah, you know, if you, if people ask you what you do or what 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 your business is, and you literally can't explain it in a sentence, then most people may not be able to pick up what it is, which is, I think is a very interesting way to look at it. So we try to keep it as simple as possible. We really try to focus on what the advantages were of what we're doing. So I think that would be the key. You know, obviously it's a, it's a TV show. So having, um, having props or having something like that help, help obviously for us having the van, it was spectacular. The dragon jumped up in it and it, it made it very good TV. So I think props are key, but yeah, be honest, be truthful, um, and uh, and have some passion. But I think it's it, a lot of it comes down to like, what problem are you solving? What like why do, why why are people going to use your business or buy your product? Because in today's day and age, there's so much noise out there. There's so many people doing different things with social media, with LinkedIn, with uh, Facebook. There's just so many ways to drive awareness for your product. You do need you do need something that's different and unique. And it has to it has to solve a problem. So uh, we were able to do that, I think, in a pretty short period. I, I don't, you know, I don't think many of the, the dragons at the time were cyclists or, you know, spent a lot of time on their bikes. So for us, it was clearly explaining. Here's how it works currently when you try to take your bike to a shop. Yep. Here's what we offer and uh, and sell uh, sell that feature. So, uh, mm. but yeah, highly recommend it. I think it's a wonderful show and it's a great opportunity to showcase your brand and your product and. Uh, nothing but positive things to say of, of, of our experience and the relationship we've had uh, with Jim and, uh, and Brad Hallwood, who's uh, uh, Jim's right hand, who, you know, as soon as we came off that set, he was, he was, <laughs> he was backstage and shook our hands and said, congratulations. And, and we, we, we literally started working together, you know, right after that. So um, yeah, fantastic experience. Highly recommended for any, uh, any entrepreneurs that, um, that are looking uh, to get some financing or looking to get some advice. Yeah. And I even think that kind of you describing what made your pitch successful, um, that could be applicable to any business owner who's looking to spread their brand message. I mean, you said, you know, have some props, make it fun, like have that experiential component. If you're sharing your brand, you know, be knowledgeable, know what your, your two to three sentence pitch is, know what problem you're solving. And so no matter where someone is listening in their business, like if you're meeting someone on the street or you're, you're booking a demo at a store, those are all still critical elements to a successful pitch, whether you're on Dragon's Den or you're just selling someone, um, I don't know, a bottle of, of fizzy drink. What, it doesn't matter, right? I think those are just key components of a successful pitch. So glad you shared that. Um, obviously, being on Dragon's Den was a great marketing effort for you guys. I'm wondering, is there anything else that you feel was a really um, impactful form of marketing for you, whether it was working with your team of ambassadors or whether it was you know, jumping on social media or building your email list? From your experience, what were some of those most impactful efforts? Yeah, we're very lucky, I guess. Uh, for lack of a better term, that our mobile bike shop is is a rolling billboard. So <laughs> the, the 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 reality for us is we do uh, our our franchise partners and we will do 
you know, last year somewhere around 2,000 events. So we spend a lot of time and energy doing work in the community. We do a lot of charity work. We support a lot of uh, schools. We support a lot of, uh, as I said, charity rides, Ride to Conquer Cancer, things like that. So while you're out there supporting that and making sure people's bikes are safe, there is a branding component that comes with that, and people get access to your product and, and see the brand. So we do a lot of that and spend a lot of time on that. Obviously, social media is, is somewhere um, that we spend time to spread the word. Uh, I've actually spent a lot more time on LinkedIn lately, um, and I think that's actually where you and I connected yeah. a while ago and again, and I, and I see that as a, an opportunity to talk about what we're doing and who we are as a brand. And um, we, have a, we have a unique and cool concept. We have a, a full bike shop in the back of the Sprinter van. There's Wi-Fi, there's a coffee machine, there's a flat screen TV. So uh, Outside Magazine did an article on us. We were featured in the New York Times uh, Sunday edition business section. Uh, so we've had a lot of uh, media that's come about because it's, it's disruptive, it's new, it's cool. So we've been able to, to parlay that into some, some exposure. Um, many of our customers um, are influential piece, people in their communities. Cycling, you've heard this expression before, cycling is the new golf. Yeah. A lot of people ride, you know, a lot of people are riding bikes now. It's a social aspect. They're having meetings on bikes. It's big in Silicon Valley. It's big in New York. It's big in LA. So a lot of our customers are influential people and, and they've helped spread the word on who we are and what we're doing. As you noted, we've got a, a great group of ambassadors that help spread the word. So I think it's just a collaborative effort across the board. Our franchise partners do a wonderful job. We've got great franchise partners. They do a lot of local marketing. Uh, they help build the brand. They're the ones out there donating their time for charity events and and, uh, and supporting the community engagement. So, you know, those are things you can't fake. You know, cycling is a very community-based sport, and you have to get out there and, and get engaged and get involved, and our franchise partners do a great job on that. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, sitting, in, sitting in our office here. We've got kind of a, a wall of fame board here with all of our media uh, framed up and on plaques and things like that. And, you know, we've had a lot of um, articles uh, in our industry. Well, obviously, what we're doing in the cycling industry is disruptive and changing. And then, as I said, we've got a lot of uh, articles that have been done um, outside because I think cycling, it, people are well, well aware of it now. You know, in Europe, mm -hmm. many people, use, most people use cycling for commuting and to get around. In North America, cycling was really seen as something people do to, for fitness. And I think since we started this business, you've seen a massive shift in North America now where people are using cycling to commute. People aren't driving like they used to. People want to be healthier. People are more, far more conscious about the environment. So you're seeing this massive upswing in people riding their bikes and commuting. And, um, you know, I think we've been a part of that. And, and that um, is obviously a big part of our business. Electric bikes is another area that's, that's just absolutely um, – gone crazy in terms of volume and number of people on electric bikes and, uh, you know the the car's getting uh the car's getting exchanged for a lot of different things so mm -hmm. uh we're you know we we feel back to being at the right place at the right time we, we've been able to leverage that and, and grow our business with that shift in in what's happening so uh long-winded uh long-winded answer to your question but you know for us it's it's kind of a, a collaborative effort to, to drive awareness and um and drive uh brand brand building. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it with marketing too, is that you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. You really do have to 
pick a lot of components of what you feel you can dedicate time, energy, money to in terms of marketing, try them all out and really see what gives you a return on investment. So I think it's cool that you, you know, you did the influencer thing, you're on social media, you've got media and PR exposure and um, kind of on that, uh, I know there are a couple Um, ways to go about getting media attention. And a lot of our listeners would love to have the type of exposure you've had in magazines and newspapers. Did the um, media come to you or did you work with some sort of like PR agency or someone who was able to get you on the cover of magazines? A combination. We've we've worked with some agencies in the past. We're we're currently working with Verde, uh, which is a great agency uh, based in the U.S., but but definitely you know New York Times outside magazine those those people reached out to us um, and then we're always we're always working our network and 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 looking for other opportunities to share our story and, and share what we are from a brand perspective so I'd say it's it's a combination definitely within the cycling industry um, we've had a lot of uh, uh, time and energy and people come to us and uh, we've we've bought some ads when we first started the business to try to drive awareness. And then everything outside the industry is, um, you know, definitely being a lot of uh, um, a lot of proactive efforts to try to drive awareness and get connected to the right people. And um, as I said, we, we've got a cool story. You know, even if you don't uh, ride a bike or you're not a hardcore cyclist, people get it. They're like, oh, this is this is really cool. So now somebody doesn't need to, you know, put their bike in the back of their car or um, you know carry it to to the bike shop leave it there for a week, go pick it up. Somebody can be sitting at their home or office and working and have the mobile bike shop come up. They can be at their uh, corporate office. Uh, we do, you know, we, we haven't got into this yet, but we do a lot, we have a lot of corporate customers. Uh, Microsoft, which is Starbucks head office, um, Apple, Google, um, Snapchat, they all book us to come and do fleets of bikes on campuses. They book us to come because they want their employees commuting to work on the bike. So, uh, we're see, we're seeing these these movements happen within the industry where just more and more people getting on bikes and uh, for us once again it, it, our single biggest challenge today is awareness. You know, people still don't know this even exists. Once mm-hmm. they try us, you know, we have a we have a net promoter score that's over ninety six percent, which is a, a fantastic number, something we're very very proud of. So once somebody tries us, they will come back to us and they will refer us to a friend. And they like the service. The biggest challenge we have still is getting people to to even know that. What do you mean? I can go on my phone and, and the bike shop will come and fix my garage of bikes. Mm-hmm. I never have. So that's uh, that's a big part of what we try to do is, is keep getting that awareness out there and doing podcasts and, and having these type of discussions. You hope somebody listens and says, "Oh, that's a great idea." And maybe they don't ride, but their brother does or their sister does, and, and they can help pass the word on. I think, you know, as you know from your experience at Vega, it takes it takes a long time to build the, the community and build the brand. And uh, we're trying to do it the right way and, and trying to do it um, organically. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. Like no matter how much you talk about it and your team talks about it, uh, there are still so many people who are like, huh, still don't get it or still haven't heard of it. So, I mean, as business owners, I think we do need to talk about our offers until we're blue in the face, right? We are the biggest advocates of them and uh, there are still so many people to be educated. So I think that's a really good reminder. And another thing that kind of popped into my mind was that uh, with any uh, brand that you know, you're trying to create that referral strategy and make people keep coming back to use your service. It's really good to think about whether you have some sort of 
talk trigger in place. Like what are people talking about, about your brand or your business? And I think for you guys, like it really is the convenience and the truck itself that you get invited into. Um, I know I use the service and I told so many people about it after the first time I used it because I had such a wonderful experience compared to my traditional bike shop experience. So um, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot that people want to talk about when they get such an amazing experience out of a business like VeloFix. So um, very, very cool. And uh, just on that note, uh, you were mentioning you have all these corporate customers. I know a lot of our listeners, they would only dream of working with such amazing customers like you guys, uh, like Microsoft or whoever it is. How did you go about getting them? Like if you could just sum that up in a nutshell for someone who's like, I don't even know how I would ever get connected with Google. What were some of the things you did to lock down those corporate customers? Yeah, definitely a combination. I mean, there was a strategic approach that, that we uh, we picked up the phone and, and tried to get a hold of the, the health and wellness officer or somebody that managed, managed the facilities. And we explained our value proposition of uh, what we could do. And, you know, quite frankly, somebody like Microsoft in, in Seattle contacted us. They had a, they actually had a bike shop on the campus there that was closing. And, uh, you know, somebody had seen the van rolling around or somebody had used us and referred us. And, and they contacted us and said, um, you know, if employees ride their bike into work, we pay for two tune-ups a year. Would oh, you wow. consider bringing, bringing your mobile bike shop on campus? And, and that's how it started in Seattle. And our, our franchise partner did that and very quickly needed to order another truck because uh, it was there five days a week. And uh, he was booked solid just with, uh, with Microsoft employees. So, um, yeah, I think a combination of, of strategically going after and then, once again, uh, the cycling industry uh, in most cities is actually quite small. So the, the word of mouth happens pretty quick. So, you know, you're rolling around doing a service in, in Silicon Valley and somebody uses it. So, you know, I, I work at I work at Google. This would be great to have on campus and they make that connection. So uh, it's not a hard sell. It, it once um, you know, once you get in the door and you explain the value proposition, uh, it's actually quite an easy sell. So. We've been very lucky. We've got a lot of great corporate customers, um, and um, and obviously some markets are different than others. You know, there's some of our franchise partners that don't have as big of a, a collection of, of corporate customers, but definitely in places like Seattle and Silicon Valley, in LA, mm-hmm. New York, New York, uh, in Austin, Texas, where you've got a, a big concentration of, of um, significantly sized offices and campuses, uh, we we do very well there. And then, you know, the third part of the business that we haven't touched on is we do, uh, we work with a lot of direct-to-consumer brands. So there's a lot of bike um, bike manufacturers that sell their bikes online, but the challenge is those bikes don't come fully assembled. So we work wow. with uh, Canyon, which is a big, uh, big German company that, that ships product around the world. Uh, we work with Amazon. So there's a lot of bike uh, manufacturers that we work with that people go online and they buy those bikes. And then they use Velofix to come and build them, safety check them, give them a quick fit, take the packaging away. So that's become a big, big part of what we do. And we see that as a, you know, a continued area of growth. Uh, direct to consumer is not going to slow down. More and more people are going to buy bikes online. And uh, we, think, we think we're a valuable partner there in that last mile piece. Yeah, yeah. I never even thought about that in terms of ordering a bike that you have to assemble at home and how you guys could really support that. Because, you know, it's not something I want to get into is building my own bike. But 
Um, yeah, I think that's amazing. So obviously you've been, um, doing this for what, eight years now and probably learned a lot and you're always evolving and growing. But at this point in time, I'm wondering, is there some sort of skill that you're currently focused on up leveling or learning or improving in order to become better at your role as a co-founder and as a CEO? For sure. I think always, always trying to get better. As I said earlier, uh, building our team out has become a, a big, big priority for, for our senior management team. Uh, we've opened an office in Austin, Texas, so trying to make sure that the culture uh, is, is passed on and it's, um, it's nurtured in both offices, make sure that both, both offices are communicating and we're all, we're all going in the same direction, hiring new people. So we've hired a lot of new people into new roles, so that's always challenging when you've got a new role and you're bringing somebody new in. And, you know, I see that CEO role as somebody that's the advocate of the brand and who we are as a company and what we want that customer experience to look like. So a lot of time and energy on, on people and um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that's a key to, to any company you know, to, mm-hmm. to, be, uh, to be blunt. There's a lot of great companies out there and the difference maker is your people. It's, it's the people that are dedicated that show up and we, we've got franchise partners that have built our brand and grown our brand for us and they've done a phenomenal job of deriving a huge net promoter score and giving us that word of mouth positivity out there. And we've learned a lot from them as well. And then our head office support teams, uh, making sure that we have the right people in place that we're supporting our franchise partners. And now that we're rolling out corporate trucks, making sure that we have everything in in place for those corporate trucks. So, you know, that's a big part of it. Obviously we've got a board of directors, we've got investors. So that takes time and energy to uh, make sure that everybody is aligned. Everybody's aware of what's going on and, all got the same goals and targets and um you know a big thing for for me in my role too is is what's coming next you know who are our strategic partners where is the industry going uh what are those trends that are happening and um and making sure that uh i i I stay up to speed on those and and we're staying ahead of it Um, we've got very good relationships with our suppliers that's critical for us as well as we've got a lot of great suppliers we want to make sure they clearly understand we're growing and we need their support and and we want them along for the ride as well. So I'd say those are kind of the areas that, that spend most of the time on. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting because they're always changing and there's always something to work on. And companies go through different levels. I've been lucky to have gone through this uh, two or three times in the past. So um, there's just evolutions that happen as you scale. And you know, as, as we talked about a few times, I'm sure you saw that at Vega. As, as you grow the business, things change. You need to focus in different areas. And at the end of the day, you've got to keep uh, you got to keep the customers in mind. You got to make sure you're still delivering a great quality product. Uh, but you know things change as you go. And um, and as I said, we've we've been on a we've been on a heck of a run. We've we've grown the business. Uh, we've expanded uh, to pretty much every major city in North America. And um, that's kind of the focus for 2020 is is to continue to put mobile bike shops on the road and keep the same level of service as you do it. And um, that's one of the biggest challenges in businesses is can you keep that same quality level as you scale? And uh, I'm confident we've done that. I'm confident we'll continue to do that. Mm, So inspiring. Um, I heard you say, or I read somewhere that you said you've been on a mission to simplify your life and become more efficient with your time. 
I'm wondering, do you have any tips that you could share with our listeners on maximizing your time? Obviously, you are busy um, and probably get a lot of requests and have demands. Um, Is there any skills or tools that you have in your toolbox for really making sure you are protective of your time and not working 24-7, which I know is very possible when you're a business owner? I think for me, there's there's a few things. You talk about those non-negotiables. I mean, for me, exercise is, is a big one. Uh, it's a big stress reliever for me and, and, and helps me think and get clarity. So last year was uh, kind of the year of triathlon. Ended up qualifying for the Ironman World Championships, uh, the 70.3 race, and did that in Nice, France with a bunch of good good friends. Uh, so, you know, exercise is a, is a really important starting point, I think, for me personally anyway, in terms of getting clarity, uh, mm-hmm. being focused, keeping sharp. Uh, another big thing is when you start a company, you're doing everything, you know, the three of us did everything, literally everything. Um, and it was the three of us for the first couple of years. And as you start adding people, uh, I think a big thing to do is, is, is when you hire good quality people is you need to let them run their business units and run their segments. So, um, I I think a big thing to, to save yourself time and energy is, is hire those good quality people and let them run it. So, a lot of things, you know, I don't have the same involvement level in my, my team and, and my direct reports, but, and I trust them and, um, and, you know, we talk about them and I provide my input and feedback and, but they're running it. So I think, you know, the, uh, the, the typical entrepreneur, if you, if you say, uh, is, uh, very hands-on, you know, as I said, when you launch a business, you have to do everything. So I, I think that's the challenge a lot of entrepreneurs have is as you grow and scale, you have to give up that control. And unless you do, you're just never going to have enough time in the day. So mm. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a big one as well. And then you have to learn to say no. And, and I think a big thing when you start a company is, um, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for yeses everywhere and you'll talk to anybody because you just, you want to get your network built and you want to, you want to literally talk to as many people as you can about your idea. Yeah. And, um, you know, now for me, a lot of it, unfortunately, is you have to say no to things. It's just not on our, it's not on our strategic plan. It's not on our hit list to do. And, um, and I hate saying no because, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, I'm a salesman and I like to develop business. And yeah. uh, you, have, you, respect, you respect people out there that are doing that. But just, just brutally honest, look, you know what? We're not going to look at that in 2020. So if you want to you know, you send me a note in January 2021, we can take a look at it. And mm-hmm. You just got to be harsh like that and, and do it in a professional manner. But um, you have to do that. So. Uh, and, you know, a couple other small tips, just try to, in terms of communication, um, be more efficient with that um, and uh, just, you know, try to allocate the hours in the day properly. And, um, you know, I think I think there's kind of this thing out there with entrepreneurs that you have to work 20 hours a day and you, you don't sleep and you're doing all mm-hmm. these things. And, you know, I, I just don't see that being the case. The, the most successful people I, I've been around they're very efficient with their time and they work very hard. You know, I'd say this, I mean, you know, the, the three of us as co-founders, I mean, we work seven days a week. You're always on, you're always sending emails, you're always doing things, but that doesn't need to mean you need to be at the office at six in the morning till 10 at night. Yeah. Um, I would actually, I would actually argue the opposite is true. It's, if like, if you need to be at the office for 15 hours a day, you probably haven't set your business up properly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's periods where, uh, where you got to get something done and, and everybody's working on it, but it, that's not sustainable. So um, you have to find all those um, little things. And I try to surround myself and, and um, 
and, and, and spend time around people that have built world-class businesses and, and get their advice on how to do it. And, you know, Vancouver's a cool city. There's a lot of people that have done some really cool things here. And, um, you know, lucky to have a lot of friends that have been very successful and always asking questions. You know, how did you do it at this, you know, when you were at, at this size, what were you doing? What were you thinking of? And, um, and you know, that's the one thing I pass on to people is don't be afraid to reach out. People assume, oh, because they're busy or they're very successful, they're not going to give me time. And I think the opposite is true. I think those people that are very successful are more than happy to pass it on and share things uh, because people did that for them. And uh, anybody that says they can do it on their own or they did it on their own, it's just not true. You know, every company, you need help, you need luck, you need timing. And um, we've certainly had all of those things. Mm, yeah. And I think that's such a good point about not only getting around these people, but then asking questions and being inquisitive and curious because at the end of the day, we don't have all the answers and you can't be afraid to, you know, just kind of get your hands dirty and say, I don't know this, but do you know it? Could you help me? Um, and build your kind of team of mentors, even if they are very informal to you. So it's a really, really good tip. Um, well, I feel like I could chat with you all day and, and learn so much from you, but uh, I think we'll wrap this up. I just want to know for the listener that is kind of yearning to start a business, um, but they don't really have clarity on where to begin or what their idea is. Do you have any advice for them in terms of, of really getting clear on what that idea is and figuring out those first steps? Yeah, I think we've touched on it a couple times, but try to simplify it. Like really try to simplify it where you can explain it to somebody very quickly. Yeah. Um, really understand what your value proposition is. Like why, why is somebody going to use your product? Where are you positioning yourself in the market? Once again, I think it's important to see uh, what people are doing out there, but you know, don't base your vision on, on that. You need to have a passion and you need to have your own vision of what you want to become. Uh, ask questions, surround yourself with people that have done it. They're, as I said to you before, in my experience, they're very, very willing to mm -hmm. share and to help. And, and, you know, if you can get, get connected to people, I, I look at people in Vancouver, like a, a Brian Scudamore at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, who uh, has always been, been great with his time. I look at a, a guy like Brian Hill at Aritzia, who's built an absolutely world-class company there, who's always willing to give me time and, and give me advice um, there, there's the list goes on and on, <clears throat> excuse me, in this city of people that have built really cool companies that, um, that, that give back and share that. So if you can find somebody that's done that, uh, I think it helps, you know, there's a lot of in information online and things like that. But, you know, my, my advice would be if you have an idea and you've got a passion for it and, uh, there's a value proposition in it. You know, you've got the, the, the boxes you have to check, check, you know, you need to incorporate or you need to set your business up, you need a license, you need an accountant. Those are kind of the, the non-negotiables, like you have to do those things. And then from there, it's, you know, my advice would really be just to, to do it. Just yeah. get out and get it going. And it doesn't need to be perfect. Just get out there and get going. Because if you don't do that, it just, everything takes longer and you're trying to make it perfect. And the reality is it never is. And, in, you know, we talked about Guy Raz, how I built this, like, listen to that. Because yeah. if, if nothing, if you listen to that, if you listen to 10 or 15 of those episodes of founders, and as you know, he interviews like Starbucks and Lululemon and mm -hmm. uh, all, all birds and um, literally the biggest companies in the world. And, you know, Sarah Blakely at Spanx and like every one of these people say, 
I really didn't know what I was doing. No, exactly. Like every one of them, every one of them basically says, well, I have this idea, but I didn't. And, and guy asks his question. They're like, no, I just, I don't know. Like I just did this and I went and started to sell it to somebody. So I think there's a mis there's misconception out there of, from people that you need to build this absolutely bulletproof business case with everything checked off. And in my experience, and when you listen to these people, that's just not the case. You're like, you just got to get moving. Don't get me wrong. You want to have a strategy and you, and you want to um, have a plan, but you, you got to get active and you got to start getting customer feedback as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think once you do that, I think what happens is you start learning very, very quickly. And, um, and then you have to adapt and you have to move. But yeah, get good people around you and, uh, and don't be afraid to, to reach out to people uh, that are in a similar, similar field or somebody that's, you know, not even, maybe it's a brand that you respect because I think whether you're, you know, whether you're, as I said earlier, whether you're selling yoga pants or, or Vega plant-based protein, there's a lot of the same principles that are in place. And, yeah. um, and uh, the sooner you can get yourself, there's a lot of great uh, forums and mentor groups and peer, peer mentoring and things like that. I think those are invaluable for, for people that are just starting out because you get in a room with people that are doing the same thing you are and mm -hmm. you can start using their contacts and networks and get up to speed quickly. So, um, yeah, it's like they say, there are certainly no lack of resources. There's just a lack of resourcefulness. So I think at the end of the day, yeah, if you want to learn something, if you want to, you know, get in a room full of people who can inspire you, like you just got to be resourceful and figure out how you can do that and get that scrappy attitude that an entrepreneur usually has. So yeah. Um, well, Chris, it's been an awesome conversation and I'm so, so happy that you shared the story of VeloFix and your personal journey. And I just know it's going to inspire so many people. So where can people reach out and maybe learn more about you, learn more about VeloFix? Maybe they want to own a franchise. Uh, give us all of the different links we need to know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just uh, VeloFix.com for uh, all the information you need on who we are and what we do and yeah, if you're looking to buy a franchise, we've got a lot of great territories available in North America. So that all that information is on there. Um, I'm on Instagram and as I said, spending a lot of time on LinkedIn and trying to mm -hmm. share a lot of things that are happening within my business and also share interesting articles and things like that. Um, it's, uh, I think things, um, things move very fast now, which is great because I think you can get information uh, much easier than you could before. So uh, mm -hmm. to your comment earlier, it's just the, the most successful people are the people that um, they get up every morning and, and they keep doing it. Uh, yep. and it's, that's a lot, that's a lot of entrepreneurship is just grinding away at it. And it's not easy and it's not a straight line. And I've been very lucky that you know, with David and Boris, I've got two amazing partners and you know, that makes it a lot easier. Uh, doing it yourself is, uh, it's a, it's a big, big task and you've got, uh, two people to do it with or the three of us, you know, I may be having a bad week and somebody's having a great week and that gets flipped and, um, you know, you need to surround yourself with people that uh, keep you motivated because it, mm -hmm. it, uh, there can be some dark times and, and frustrating times, but um, you just gotta, you gotta believe in what you're doing and, and you gotta, you gotta keep getting up every morning and doing it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I would encourage everyone listening to uh, connect with you guys. And if you're a cyclist, definitely reach out to VeloFix and experience the magic of having a mobile bike shop show up at your house, especially if you're busy. It's just the ultimate time saver. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. 
I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So if you could help me out by rating and reviewing this show on your iTunes app, I would be so grateful. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories. Just make sure to tag me at Kelsey Rydell. If you're feeling stuck, uninspired, stagnant, bored, or confused in what your next step should be, it's time to take action. Please reach out because I would love to connect with you. I'll catch you in the next episode.